Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, founder of PrisonCare.org, equipping compassionate people to support the often invisible people groups who make up a prison neighborhood. The inmate residents, correctional officers, staff, administration, and the families of all these folks. Join me for this week's episode and be encouraged to think, care, and respond as we explore the challenges facing prison neighborhoods everywhere. Let's support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Welcome to part two of Mental Illness and the Fundamentals in Prison. I'm Sabrina, and in just a moment, we are going to have another phone call interview with Jay from the prison in which he is incarcerated. And as always, we remind you that we're doing our best with sound quality, but it's a little tricky getting those uh, phone interviews to come out clear. So if you need a copy of the transcript, you can always download a PDF of that. Uh, We also have Kim with us on this interview. She is the community director for Prison Care Incorporated. And she has also been a part of Jay's life since he was a young kid. And um, so we were excited to be able to talk some more about Jay's mental illness. If you missed part one, um, you might want to listen to that first. There is a a significant um, amount of sort of context that will make this episode make more sense. And Jay shares quite a bit about his personal mental illness, the symptoms that he experiences, and how focusing on the fundamentals really helps him to manage life with a mental illness in prison. So in this episode, uh, we're going to pick up basically where we left off in part one. And we're going to talk about the structure that the system provides and how some of that structure is helpful for people who are living with mental illness, and some of the structure is unhelpful. And we're also going to talk about the power of isolation. We're going to talk about being boldly naive. And we're going to talk about the obstacle of proximity, and what it means to explain less and function more. So let's dive right into it. And let's get on the phone with Jay. You know, it's funny because that's something people on the outside talk about sometimes is that um, being in prison is really good for people because it, it puts structure in their lives. And and that's true to a point mm-hmm. in context. And for um, some people more than others, probably. Right. Yeah. But then there's a point at which structure becomes unhelpful as well. And I, I'm not sure too many of us on the outside think about that piece of it. Um But yeah, for somebody who's really intentionally trying to work on their own crap, which is exactly what we want everyone who's committed a crime to do, we want them to work on their crap so that they won't do those things anymore. Uh, That calls for like a ton of intentionality. And if you're doing that on the outside, then in a best case scenario, you've got a counselor or a therapist or a life coach. Um, If you can't afford that, you've probably at least got a couple of trusted friends. And there are people who say, hey, you can call me any time of the day or night. I'm here for you. You know, people who are trying to kick addictions, people who are trying to deal with mental illness. You take them and put them in prison, and now they're incredibly isolated from the very kinds of supports that will help them own their crap yeah. 
and yeah. heal the fastest. And that's where a big piece that is hugely helpful is you have to figure out how to trust in yourself, even mm. trust in your complete inability mm. to know what to do yet. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't make a lot of sense until you're going through it, but there, there's a point where you just have to trust that you are smart enough to go through trial and error. You just have to be willing and patient enough with yourself to make the mistakes, to learn that, okay, that's a thing I can't do. Mm. Or, you know, um, but that's, it's just scary and it's humbling. Oh, um, my. You know, because you, you just feel helpless. You feel stupid. You feel worthless, you know. And you have to push through those kinds of feelings. And I'm, and I'm not talking this is like a week-long process. Mm-hmm. This is months. And in some ways and with some categories, it's years yeah. mm-hmm. uh, of wrestling through it. Yeah. And, uh, but that's the process. That's how it is because that's how the system is right now. An offer enough of the things that would truly make this much in this process a lot more um, complete. Yeah. Across the board. You know? Well, you know, and I'm sitting here remembering in, in your story, one of the most profound periods of learning about yourself and what works and what doesn't was during lockdown and COVID when you had almost no autonomy or ability to. Yeah. yeah. And yet you kept trusting in yourself in the process and you kept observing and you kept writing stuff down and you kept tweaking things in tiny ways because that was all you had available to you. And, you know, when I look back at that period, that's probably when you made some of the most, I don't know, found, like foundational, fundamental, whatever progress um, in starting to understand it's yourself. A, it, it's a, I don't know what the phrase, put up or shut up or I don't yeah, know, you have go. to survive, I yeah. guess. When yeah. you're put, and this is tough for me to talk about in a way because a lot of, you're right, a lot of the growth that I've done have been in the worst eras of my time incarcerated so far. And in some ways that feels like, oh, these things wouldn't have come about, you know, these leaps in character wouldn't have come about without the great stress and pressures put upon you, you know, by the punishment and whatnot. And to a degree, that's the truth. And, but the point is, is that what, what I think people don't quite notice is that was a choice, and this is, unfortunately, this is going to sound super arrogant, but at a point, that's because of me and what I decided to do, how I decided to tackle this and handle this. It's not a credit to the forced structure and forced, you know, limitations that were put on me, but locking me in a cell when I wasn't even sick you know, for, right. for a year and a half, you know, it, that's, that's not a credit to that. It's a credit to what I chose to do in spite of it. And it's a credit mm-hmm. to you and anyone that I reached out to and called and talked to for the brief 20 minute stretches that we were allowed to be out of the cell to shower and make a phone call. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so how, <clears throat> so then yeah. how much better, how much more growth could I have had? Without with that, some support, without the stress, with, with a much more focused and a much 
better, you know, well-rounded uh, system of rehabilitation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anybody in this um, post-COVID world who thinks that the idea of quarantine leads to greater overall health for human beings, you know, I think, yeah, so knowing what um, has happened to mental health in the world in general in the last couple of years, and knowing how minor our lockdown on the outside Mm -hmm. was compared to people who are incarcerated who were locked down for that huge, long period of time. Um, Yeah, I don't think there's anybody who's thinking, well, see, that's what we need. We just need to Take someone who's having these struggles and let's put them in solitary because that's where they'll do their best work. <laughs> no, that's that's not how it works. It's quite the opposite. All right. So let's get into like the real meat and potatoes of you and purpose and um, your big dreams, your big goals. How how do you how do you pursue big goals? from prison when you have a mental illness? Easy question, right? (laughs) You have 30 seconds. Give me your best answer. I feel like I have a strange advantage in that what has come with my condition in the past is delusional thinking. (laughs) Okay. Tell us more. Uh, you know, yeah. what you've got, right? Marathons who only have one leg and they've got to work with what they've got, right? And, right. And they succeed. So, I, I mean, that's maybe more of a rare example, but it, it gets the point across. I, I, I've got this ability to have some kind of grandiose thinking, very wide-eyed perspective on what I want out of life. And when it's been used inappropriately, it's been abused or manipulated, uh, I, you know, that thinking turned very sour and my grandiose perspective focused on the worst kinds of things. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean the ability to almost be boldly naive is actually wrong. It's just that it was used wrong, right? It, it, if I go to fix the hinge on the microwave door with a hammer, it's not the hammer's fault. <laughs> you know, I, that's my fault for using the hammer wrong. Uh, and uh, so anyways, I, I've had to realize, that, realize first the facts, ground myself in reality, right? So there have been people who have gone to terrible lengths like I did for fears, for whatever, whatever was motivating them, who then really wanted to turn their life around and do something better, something bigger too, not just quietly better, you know, mm. not just within themselves um, and find peace, but they wanted to then reach out and affect the world around them. For right, the right. And, and they did it. I, I, I can't sit here and list off a bunch of names, but... They exist, and you can look them up. Y'all have the internet. You guys can do that work. Um, <laughs> and I, so I wanted to be one of them, you know? I yeah. wanted to, because that's who I've always wanted to be anyway. That's part of what was used against me to get me on that soured path to dark delusions 
was this desire in me to do big things and affect people in big, positive ways. It was just flipped for me, and I got very lost. But with the right influences, like you, like the rest of my family, like the small group of friends that I've surrounded myself with in here who are like-minded, with those kinds of influences, I can stay on course. Mm. I can do it right this time. And, um, but as far as like why that's there or where it came from, I was just born that way. I was just born that way. And so I've decided to use the other things I've been born with, like my grandiose thinking, to help fuel that path, you know, to help, to help me go this direction. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking an awful lot about choosing over and over and over and over and over and over again, <laughs> choosing what you're going to do with this moment, with this thought, with this situation, with this relationship, with this opportunity. And um, yeah, I just I applaud you. I know I'm your mom, but I applaud you because only you have that choice available to you of what to do with each of your moments, just like any one of us. And I'm not your mom, and I'm applauding big time, too. <laughs> Though I might be slightly biased as well. <laughs> so when you're going after specific goals, things that have gone from the, the general grandiose dream idea into an actual, this is a thing that I'm going to pursue, and I'm going to go after this. Um, when you're in a prison, you have a whole lot of obstacles in the way. For, for example, um, you do a fair amount of artwork. You are first and foremost, I guess, a musical artist, but you also do a fair amount of visual artwork. And it would sound like, oh, that's easy. He could do that anytime he wants. But even that kind of thing doesn't come without a whole lot of constraints put on it. So can you describe what people in prison deal with in terms of things that get in their way that are beyond what people on the outside have to deal with when they're going after their dreams? Sure. I mean, the number one thing is other people get in your way. And it's actually not even as antagonistic as all that. It, it's more that people unintentionally get in your way. They, well, You're living in such close proximity right now. I can count eight people that are, you know, 10 and 15 feet away from me. Mm. And that's at any given time. Mm. I could go to my cell. I could retreat to there, right? And that's as private as it gets here. But first of all, it's a it, it's a wet cell, which means I got a toilet and a sink in there. Um, it's not a big room, okay? It's not like a nice, comfortable one-bedroom. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, what, 12 by 15 feet or something like that? Uh-huh. Like, um, and uh, there's a toilet at one end and a bed at the other end. I have a celly who has equal rights to the same amount of time in that cell as I do, wow. uh, who could come in at any time you need. And then you have, again, maybe eight people at any time who could be hanging out right near your cell, like literally in front of the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm top tier, and people like to to stand there for a moment and have a conversation or something and, and because there's just not a lot of space and there is a lot of people, a lot of times they just end up right there in front of it and 
things aren't soundproof very yeah. well at all. So you're just constantly bombarded with other people. And another thing is we're all bored, right? So we all want to engage in a, either a, a rousing conversation about, uh, you know, this or that, or if you're nerdy, you want to talk about nerdy stuff, or if you're down, you want to laugh about something, or if you're down, you want to be miserable extra about something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but either way, with interaction with each other is, whether we like it or not, one of the best pastimes we have. But then when you have someone you know, like me, who's a lot of your endeavors requires centering yourself, getting quiet, um, and calming down. That uh, that comes with a lot of a need for almost an antisocial dynamic yeah. and yeah. Or, or behavior, and you can't get that very easily. Um, yeah. In here, and especially then in my position with uh, part of the the work that I do for the music program in my pod is I have to be available to answer numerous questions about either this instrument or that, how to play it, um, or how, especially these days, I I help people record everything Mm -hmm. and uh, record and mix their songs. And so I am constantly, constantly answering questions about that or working directly on someone's project currently. Mm -hmm. Um, And these things, these aren't like quick one-hour like this is hours and hours and it's every day right and I move right from one to the next because there's there's always more to be done and so while these are good things right engaged with others um we're helping them I'm learning from them they're learning from me uh it still completely consumes your time and suddenly you realize I haven't worked out in three days yeah I, I need that. I need that's why I didn't sleep great last night. You know, that's why it was hard. That's why it took two hours for me to fall asleep instead of 30 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, things like that suddenly start creeping up, and you're like, I'm doing these good things, right? You know, trying to building healthy interactions and, and, and relationships with people. But you got to get back to the fundamentals, first and foremost, especially the greater your challenges are. Right. Um, I have unique issues in a lot of respects, and I can't spend all day explaining that to everyone. I just have to go about taking care of it properly. Yeah, it's funny. Probably people listening to the podcast um, who have never met you have more of a clear understanding of what your brain stuff is than people who live in the pod with you, right? Because, yeah, it's not the focus of what you're doing. It can't be the focus. You don't want to constantly be sobbing about, you know, oh, my condition, I have these issues, you see, and uh, it affects me in this way. No matter how sincere or how concise you're trying to be with it or, or whatever, it either comes off pretentious like, oh, you're so important because you have such, you know, you know, you, you, your struggle is more intense than mine. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry for bothering you. Um, <laughs> or you're whining and complaining and, and you know what I mean? And, and nobody wants to deal with that. Mm-hmm. The alternative is that <laughs> you don't say enough because you're trying to get through it and just be like, I have a condition. 
it's a problem, and right now I can't deal with this right now because I'm not, you know, able to be here enough or whatever, um, however you phrase it. And while that can work, and people can, like, nod and be like, oh, okay, cool, right on, man, you know, um, feel better or whatever, it's not enough because they don't understand, like, they, they don't get what the hell that means. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just know that, all right, you can't be here right now, cool. Um, and so, yeah, and that's unfortunately the, the option I default to the most because it, it, it'll it work every time um, and it doesn't come with the other issues of, uh, you know, upsetting or annoying people or whatever, but it, it unfortunately does come with the side effect of nobody, even my closest neighbors, don't quite have any idea right. um, what I'm dealing with. Every, well, every day, every hour. Right. We have 60 seconds remaining. And with that, from Cassandra, we're going to wrap up this episode. It gives us a lot to think about. The things that we know we all need to employ when we're working on our own mental wellness on the outside of a prison are the same things that people on the inside of a prison need. The fundamentals, being able to take good care of hydration and blood sugar and sleep and exercise, being able to have people to talk to, to process things with, having access to truth speakers in your life who can be trusted with all the things that you're wrestling with, being able to set goals and to work toward them, and being able to explain as much as you choose to about what you're dealing with in terms of symptoms. Um, These are all things that we would want were we dealing with a mental illness in our lives on the outside. And when we think about the high number of people on the inside who are dealing with life with a mental illness and think about how difficult it is for them to attend to those fundamentals. Makes us wonder if we can do better. It also makes us wonder about the corrections staff, what their needs are, how much attention are they able to give to mental wellness practices, to the fundamentals of their own. They face many of the same challenges that the inmate residents do. And until they're given the support that they need, until they're given the freedom to pursue mental wellness, how can we expect them to be doing a good job? It's not easy. I don't know what the answers are. I just know that it's time that we considered the questions. And hopefully, that's what this episode and the one before it, hopefully that's what the podcast is doing, that it's helping us consider these questions. Because as always, the goal here at the Prison Care Podcast is to encourage our listeners to think and to care and to respond in compassionate ways. We believe in what we're doing. We believe that it's a really big challenge before us. We believe that this is a fundamental piece of prison reform. This grassroots, one prison at a time one compassionate person at a time approach. It could change everything. So thank you for listening 
Thank you for considering becoming involved, perhaps starting a prison care compassion team in your area, um, perhaps being a financial supporter of Prison Care Incorporated, perhaps uh, helping connect us with like-hearted organizations that um, could do good work side by side to improve the culture within prisons. That would be a wonderful thing. Appreciate you caring. Please listen again in the future. Thanks for listening to the Prison Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at prisoncare.org. Prison Care, equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters.